How much money did global carbon pricing schemes make last year? And how many times was Exxon told off this month? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Beckosphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hoag, a science writer. Today is Thursday, May 26th. Let's jump right into the news you need to start your day. Let's start with some climate studies. A new study found that the thawing permafrost in Sweden is releasing less methane than we thought. I bet you weren't expecting the sentence to end like that. Yes, University of Copenhagen researchers determined that the permafrost up there only releases one-tenth of the emissions they thought it would. For context, permafrost is a thick layer of topsoil that remains frozen. As it melts, ancient dead plants and animals stuck in the ice start to decompose, releasing methane. But maybe less than we thought, or at least for now. One of the reasons why methane isn't being released as much is that the area still remains pretty dry, slowing the decomposing process. The researchers say that if a warmer climate results in more rainfall, the area might release its methane faster. Meanwhile, a new study by the nonprofit Think Tank Series found that only 23 out of the top 50 U.S. publicly traded food companies include Scope 3 emissions in their reports. Scope 3 emissions are indirect emissions, like emissions produced from associated deforestation, methane from cattle and manure, and nitrous oxide emissions from fertilizers. So basically, about 80% of agriculture-associated emissions are not included for about half of the U.S. publicly traded food companies. Additionally, only 13% of those 50 companies have plans to reach net zero emissions targets that keep warming well below 2 degrees Celsius of warming above pre-industrial levels. And the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, confirmed Atlantic hurricane season this year will be bad. It says there's a 65% chance that this season will be above average and predicts 14 to 21 named storms this year with 6 to 10 hurricanes, and as many as 6 of those hurricanes will be major hurricanes. Major is Category 3 or above. The forecast is based on several factors, including the La Nina, abnormally warm waters, and the position of the loop current, which I talked about on May 20th. So if you want to learn about the loop current, check out that episode. Time for some climate victories. The World Bank reported that global carbon pricing schemes raised $84 billion last year, which is up about 60% from 2020 numbers. Carbon pricing can come in the form of cap-and-trade or a carbon tax to promote emissions-intensive industries to decarbonize faster. There are currently 68 global carbon pricing instruments in operation right now, covering more than 23% of global carbon emissions. Actually, it was just announced that the Indian state Gujarat will start India's first carbon trading market, the second emerging economy to do so after China. So I guess it's 69 carbon pricing instruments. (laughs) This is a big deal as India is the third largest emitter behind the U.S. and China. All this is good progress, but most of these carbon prices are still too low to decarbonize fast enough to keep warming below 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. So room for improvement. It's too soon to tell if that statement is applicable to India's new one. On to the water. 
Pacific and Caribbean islands have backed the island nation Vanuatu as it tries to convince the international court to provide an opinion stating that countries have a responsibility to protect island nations from climate change. It needs a simple majority, 97 votes, in the United Nations General Assembly for this issue to be seen by the court. The court will then need to come to this decision based on current international human rights and environmental laws. I originally covered Vanuatu's quest on May 12th when over 1,500 environmental groups from 130 countries showed support. While the court's decision won't be legally binding, it could hold the influence to reshape laws around the world. Over to Australia now. Market Forces founder Julian Vincent was just honored with the Goldman Environmental Prize, which is like the Green Nobel Prize. The award recognized his work in successfully getting all four top Australian banks to commit to stop investing in coal by 2030. The banks are Commonwealth, NAB, ANZ, and Westpac. Vincent did this by publishing how much money the banks invested in coal through his Market Forces site. Market Forces then organized public protests and divestment days, where customers would close accounts at banks that backed coal. Vincent also met with bank managers, executives, and shareholders to help them outline their climate goals. The pressure worked. Commonwealth was the first to announce its plan to divest from coal in 2019, and the other three followed soon after. The Dutch climate group Fossevrij, I might have butchered that, NL, is suing the Dutch airline KLM over greenwashing adverts. They're backed by the environmental law firm Client Earth. By greenwashing, I mean KLM allegedly gave a false impression that its flights are somehow more sustainable in its Fly Responsibly campaign. KLM says it's on track to meet its goals of net zero emissions by 2050, but honestly, practically no airline is on track to reach that target because aviation is a particularly hard sector to decarbonize. The climate activists also accuse KLM of lobbying against climate policies. In London, around 80 climate protesters delayed a Shell annual shareholder meeting by two hours by gluing themselves to the chairs. Three were arrested for damages. Activist groups represented included Money Rebellion, Extinction Rebellion, Christian Climate Action, Fossil Free London, Shell Must Fall, and Stop Ecocide. Over in the U.S., a Massachusetts court ruled that ExxonMobil must face trial over accusations that it lied and covered up the climate crisis. The U.S.'s largest fossil fuel company tried to get around the case presented by the state attorney general, Mara Healy, calling her case politically motivated and violating its right to free speech. But the court unanimously dismissed its claim, siding with Healy. Healy, by the way, is running for Massachusetts governor. This is the second time the Massachusetts federal court ruled against Exxon. In March, the court maintained its request for the company to overturn documents to investigators, showing when they knew about climate change. ExxonMobil also took a legal hit last week in Rhode Island when the state's federal appeals court ruled against 21 fossil fuel companies' attempt to avoid going to court over climate change. So now we get to watch Exxon turn over documents and squirm into state courts. Meanwhile, the commodity giant Glencore just pled guilty to bribing officials in Nigeria, Cameroon, Ivory Coast, Brazil, and others over $100 million for oil contracts, avoiding audits, and more. It agreed to pay $1.1 billion. This was just a lawsuit in the U.S., though. 
Investigations are still ongoing in Brazil and the UK that could amount to Glencore paying another $1.5 billion. But for context, the company made over $203 billion last year. The U.S. Navy released its short-term climate strategy on Tuesday to head faster towards decarbonization and improve base resiliency against sea level rise and extreme weather events. Called the Climate Plan 2030, it's part of President Biden's larger effort to get the full government to net zero emissions by 2050. I actually wrote an article for work recently on the economic benefits of switching gas-powered warships to run on lithium-ion batteries, so I'll leave that link in the source list if anyone's interested. Over to the private sector, where the First Movers Coalition announced a three-pronged expansion. The First Movers Coalition is a U.S. public-private effort launched in late 2021 by the World Economic Forum and several companies to create market demand for early-stage tech that cuts emissions from hard-to-decarbonize sectors like aviation, cement and heavy metal production, and trucking. There are eight sectors the group is targeting that account for 30% of global emissions. The goal is to get the tech ready for mass adoption after 2030. Well, now Ford, Microsoft, Swiss Re, and Google's parent company Alphabet, among 16 other companies, have just joined the coalition. Japan, India, and the UK have also joined. And the group added new purchasing agreements for low-emissions aluminum and carbon capture technology. Well, we gotta even out all that decently good news with some climate fails. On Tuesday, I talked about how HSBC's now former head of responsible spending, Stuart Kirk, bashed warnings by the International Energy Agency and the Bank of England on climate risks, calling them shrill, partisan, self-serving, and apocalyptic, among other things. Firstly, I want to add that HSBC reportedly okayed his talk before he gave it, which definitely suggests a more systemic problem in the company. Second, Wall Street Journal's editorial board published an opinion piece echoing Kirk's opinions, which go against what experts say. And third, the Bank of England just came out with a new report that says UK's top 19 financial institutions, which includes HSBC, stand to reach £340 billion in losses unless more action is taken to curb global emissions and prepare the financial system. As I mentioned on the May 6th episode, Stanford University received $1.1 billion to build the Dewar School of Sustainability, the most money ever received by a university to create a new school. Very cool. But the new school's dean has said he will accept fossil fuel money for the school, saying he is willing to work with companies, quote, that want to divest and be part of the solution. Mm. Students and faculty members are speaking out against this, publishing a letter in the Stanford Daily that says the fossil fuel industry has, quote, a proven record of actively obscuring the scientific consensus on climate change, which, quote, presents a conflict of interest. A recent Stanford poll asking which measures students wanted the university to implement found that divesting from fossil fuels was a top priority. We'll see if anything changes. I will end today's episode with a message from the UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez. He addressed the graduating class of New Jersey's Seton Hall University, where he said, quote, You must be the generation that succeeds in addressing the planetary emergency of climate change. Despite mountains of evidence of looming climate catastrophe, we still see mountains of funding for coal and fossil fuels that are killing our planet. But we know investing in fossil fuels is a dead end. No amount of greenwashing or spin can change that. 
so we must put them on notice. Accountability is coming for those who liquidate our future. You hold the cards. Your talent is in demand from multinational companies and big financial institutions. You will have plenty of opportunities to choose from. My message to you is simple. Don't work for climate wreckers. Use your talents to drive us towards a renewable future. And that was your climate news for Thursday, May 26th. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Bexphere Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.